Thank you for tuning in to the Coaching York podcast. To find out more about who we are, what we do and how we do it, please go to coachingyork.co.uk. That's coachingyork.co.uk. Hello again, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Coaching York podcast. And if you're tuning in for the first time, I'm Jeff Ashton. And I'm Fiona Smith. And if you're not tuning in for the first time, you'll know that we have been introducing our listeners to a number of our wider network in Coaching York. And today we'd like to welcome David Britton. So, David, could you just introduce yourself uh, personally, professionally and geographically? Yeah, thanks, Jeff. And thanks, Fiona. It's, it's really good to be with you. Um, so I'm well, geographically, simple bit. I'm, I'm based in York and I have been. Um, for the last 31 years of, of, of my life, having started in the south of England. I trained as a therapist in the early 2000s and uh, then trained as a coach in the 2010s and a coach supervisor. So I currently practice as a coach and a coach supervisor, as well as offering uh, training workshops and consultancy. I taught at York St John University in the counselling department, teaching counselling and coaching for 13 years up until 2020, but I took the leap into independent uh, work two or three years ago, just during the, the worst recession in 300 years. And it's working out okay. Thanks, David. Great, uh, great introduction there. Um, as part of that introduction, you mentioned that you're qualified as both a coach and a therapist. And one of the questions that, that sort of quite often comes up it, uh, when we're talking about coaching or working as coaches is what is the difference between coaching and therapy? So fr from your perspective, how, how would you talk about that difference? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question and there isn't an entirely clear answer. I guess, you know, they're, they're, they're not entirely separate things, but they are separate to a certain extent. For me, I think one of the key distinctions is around the purposes of them so the fundamental purpose of therapy usually but with some exceptions is about healing is about addressing human distress and suffering and about restoring a sense of good enough functioning sense of self well-being and the, the word therapy itself comes originally from the ancient greek meaning to heal and so on so that that's kind of you know the the key nature of therapy whereas coaching is more basically concerned with possibility um, and with with what comes next i want to emphasize it's not an entirely clear dichotomy but but that's that's broadly speaking and i think related to that therapy tends to be more problem orientated more focused on what isn't working um, what has gone wrong what is lacking what hurts coaching tends to be more focused on what are the strengths what are the possibilities what are the personal qualities on which we can build coaching also tends to be more um, more prevalent in organizations and taking a more systemic focus perhaps than therapy um, these are generalizations but i think that's quite a good way of differentiating okay and whilst we're thinking about differentiations and details david one of the other things that that comes up is a distinction between um mental ill health and neurodiversity mm. so in in one way you can just think well this is all to do with the mind but there are different ways of thinking or understanding these things so again in sort of in general terms how, how would you describe the difference between the two of those 
That's another really interesting question and, and, and not an easy one. I, mean, I think a lot of people who have experiences that are labelled as neurodiverse would be very unhappy about being bracketed um, uh, as being, in, in some sense, suffering from, from mental illness. Um, although it has to be said that there are people within the field of mental health who think that, that, that the notion of mental illness is, is overly pathologised and should really be understood more in terms of different kinds of experience. But, you know, broadly speaking, neurodiversity tends to assume that there's something fairly hardwired in the brain structure um, that leads people to have different ways of being in the world, different processes. Um, Again, sometimes there's a focus on the deficits that people who have, you know, say, for example, people with autism um, might, might have or experience. But then again, other people will say, no, what actually autism gives me all kinds of things that other people don't have. Some people really want to be kind of identified with their autism and say, you know, I'm an autistic person. That, that really defines a big part of me. Others say, no, I don't, I don't want to. So it's kind of complicated, but mental illness and health generally take um, place within a, a discourse of suffering and of therapeutic redress, whereas neurodiversity tends to be more about how can we recognise um, the limitations of what is sometimes called neurotypical ways of viewing the world and change uh, the way we structure society and structure organisations in order to encompass a wider range um, of ways of being. Okay, thank you for that. And we, and we are planning a future podcast with a focus on neurodiversity in particular. So thinking today, particularly around issues of mental health, mental ill health, and how coaching and therapy combine or potentially complement each other in that, in that world, if I was to ask the question, in, in what ways is a coaching approach helpful in supporting people with challenges to their mental health? What would you say to that? I suppose just, uh, I'd like to make a brief point uh, before addressing that, Jeff, that I perhaps might have made in, in, my, in my first answer, which is that I think coaching and therapy are both ultimately concerned with, uh, to me, with the project of furthering the aim of fuller human flourishing. So despite their differences in, in the kinds of things they address, there's a basic idea that, 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 that they can further the goal of, of people, individuals, organisations, society as a whole, being able to flourish more. So how coaching can be helpful in a way that's different from therapy is precisely by focusing on what isn't. Um, I don't want to use the word broken uh, because that's not how people experience these things necessarily, but by focusing on what is working, by focusing on the strengths and qualities that people have and how they can be built on, rather than by focusing on what isn't working. And there seems to be emerging evidence that at times there is more growth to be had from building on strengths and personal qualities, identifying values and working out how to leverage them. Um, than in focusing on what isn't working, uh, but it's not an absolute. So, David, to that to that point, um, is is there an example that you've got that that you could talk us through that would would help to illustrate that more? I suppose something that uh, an experience or an issue that could potentially be um, material for therapy or material for coaching could be something like a, a redundancy. 
perhaps particularly an unexpected one, or one that's clumsily handled, so that leaves the person feeling um, somewhat shocked, bruised, bewildered, perhaps you know, a degree of sort of wound to the self. Typically, a therapeutic approach would want to be exploring the loss, the wound, quote unquote damage that has been done to the person's sense of themselves in the world. A coach wouldn't necessarily be indifferent to all of that stuff. And, and a good coach would, would certainly want to offer the sort of bare compassionate witness to, to the pain that somebody has experienced, but would also be wanting to um, recognize that this presents an opportunity, um, perhaps um, a, a valuable opportunity for a reassessment of what really matters to the person. This is certainly what we know often happens in the case of redundancy. What the person has learned from it, how the person might move forwards in ways that, that, that are going to um, uh, enable them to deal with life's shocks better in the future. Again, none of those things would necessarily be entirely missing from therapy either, but broadly speaking, that's a kind of difference in in emphasis. I, I mean, I don't know what you two think of that particular example, uh, you know, your experience as coaches and how you would be working with, or how you have worked with people in, in that situation. Yes, it where I've worked with people who, in, in a situation of redundancy, and certainly as a coach worked with them on that sense of loss, the, the, the grief around um, things linked to their identity and their status, um, and I, I've worked with them, well, I guess, from that perspective of, well, yes, let's explore it. I will, I will hear what what they want to, to talk about. And, you know, there's almost that initial process of getting it off their chest, being able just to put it out there and have that space where they can talk about it. Sometimes without that need to, to feel they've then got to protect family or, you know, can't have that conversation with partners or whatever because it's there's, there's so much more um, complication around it mm. um and I definitely can can think there with the process of that there's, there's typically always been that initial process of just talking about it and and dealing with the the, the, the grief and, and shock aspect of it then as a coach help then to do is to, to think about that well so what you know what what am I going to do now and that's then been the, the focus of, of what we've worked on yes i've got a, a couple of thoughts on that i mean obviously for some for some people uh, redundancy rather than being a, a challenge is actually blessed relief and an opportunity to, to get into something new and couldn't happen fast enough one of the one of the questions that does come up in in my mind is is around the issue of the contracting with the client and possibly the person who might be hiring you to work with the client. So, for example, uh, I've been hired to do redundancy coaching in what's called out outplacement. Interesting word I always found. And so, my job with the client was very short term I might have an hour I might have two if I was lucky and the focus was very much on preparing the client for the next thing that they were going to do in life so there's very little time to help them process their experience of being made redundant the focus is very much on the future and that's all proper proper coaching so so within that obviously there's a constraint within within which we work 
but I but I will try and introduce into that something which does affirm the client in their sort of their humanity, their individuality, their skills. And as we've talked before, if you're on a previous pod, there's this little aphorism that I use sometime, which is who you are doesn't depend on where you are. And it helps the client think about themselves and what they have to bring to the world rather than how they might have been shaped by their by their context. But the, the broader question that comes to mind here, David, I'd be interested in your views on this, is on the question of contracting. Mm. So as a coach, when I'm working with somebody, I have a standard disclaimer, which says something to the effect of everything we say is confidential, unless I think you're going to, to do something illegal or hurt yourself or somebody else. Or I may take something that you said and talk to my coaching supervisor about it. Uh, it would be anonymous. I wouldn't let them know that it's you I'm talking to. So these are standard things that I'm thinking about. But how might I think about contracting either if at the very beginning of the coaching relationship, a mental health issue has presented itself, or I think one that might appear as the conversation and relationship goes on? I think if it's the former, if, if there's something already apparent, then there's a need for a conversation with the client about, or the potential client, about whether coaching or therapy is going to be more suitable for them. Um, you know, one possibility would, would actually be doing both. Um, some people do do that. Some people will, will, can actually really benefit from coaching whilst they're having therapeutic support. And that's something I might talk about a bit later in, in relation to a specific example. Um, I guess, it's about contracting. I would link contracting with assessment here in the sense that part of what you're trying to do as a coach in this situation is get a really good sense of whether this person's got a realistic handle on their situation or not. Um, are they aware that there is a, you know, if you want to use the, you know, mental health issue and emotional, some, something that feels difficult and potentially outside the bounds of coaching, for example. Um, are they uh, open to that and, and accepting not that they're responsible for what's happened to them, but they're responsible for the way they behave and, and, and what they do moving forward? Or are they very close and defensive? Is this issue kind of quite localized or is it more pervasive? Andy and Carol Buckley talk about distinguishing between functional suffering, dysfunctional suffering and uh, mental illness functional suffering being stuff that's you know generally identifiable as a result of a specific event or set of circumstances and seems broadly proportionate to whatever has happened we need to be careful about that because there are value judgments involved um, but you know we can get a rough idea and it tends to be short-lived even if intense whereas dysfunctional suffering is where there doesn't seem to be a readily identifiable cause in the present or it seems a disproportionately strong reaction to current events or circumstances. Um, I think that distinction is really valuable. You know, if, if we see clear signs of something like uh, depression, and I think as coaches we should be aware of what, you know, what some of the indicators are of 
of, of, of depression, whether we adopt a sort of medical model for that or not, then we really need to be recommending as a minimum that somebody goes to see their GP. But I think that kind of distinction between functional and dysfunctional suffering, my experience of training people around this is that it's a really useful one for coaches, along with those ideas around defensiveness and awareness and the pervasiveness of the problem and and there's a sense for which as coaches we always really want to trust our clients as be to be the experts on their experience i think a lot of therapists would say the same thing but i think we also have some professional role responsibility to recognize and to be prepared to to say no if we think that somebody actually their judgment about their situation is impaired and that it could be damaging for them to embark on something that isn't appropriate for them what do you think about that a distinction Fiona so we have functional suffering where the distress someone's experience seems to be proportionate to what's going on or you can identify the trigger for it and this idea of dysfunctional suffering where what the client seems to be experiencing it's hard to identify where it's coming from or the trigger that seems to be readily visible to us at any rate isn't the kind of trigger that you would expect to lead to the level of suffering that someone's experienced. Is, is that something you recognise? I, I think it's a really helpful way to make the distinction and to, as a coach, to, to prompt your thinking about what you are seeing and hearing and um, as a almost as a, a checkpoint. I think there's a bit of me that says that's really helpful and what I need to do is is be aware of any level of personal judgment or evaluation that I'm bringing into that mm. that could influence how I'm seeing it and which which side it's moving to mm. more because I think by nature of how we are as individuals we have those reference points so you know if if I'm someone who doesn't easily get stressed about things and and sort of tends to look at everything well yeah but you know that'll be all right I think as a coach, I want to be tuned into that to thinking, I really need to listen to this and think what I'm what I'm hearing or seeing with this person to make sure that I'm understanding this in a uh, as as sort of a, a fairly balanced way as possible and, and removing as much as my bias as I can. And and I guess maybe I've got a question there for you, David, on that is that um I'm particularly thinking about your role as a coach supervisor. Um what guidance you might give there to us so if I was coming to you and saying oh, you know when I work with my clients I'm, I'm you know I'm typically a sort of person who'll go oh it'll be fine you know whatever mm. um so that's my baseline mm. how what are the things that might help me to ensure that I don't let any of that bias come into my evaluation with a client mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's really good that you raise the issue of supervision because I think supervision is crucial here, and particularly, I think, I, I think supervision is incredibly valuable generally uh, in, in coaching and, and as in therapy. But I think particularly when there's a potential mental health issue or you know a, a significant level of distress, whichever language we want to use, um, I'd be exploring. I, I'd be exploring your kind of default way of being with you. I'd be offering you a space where you can just become more aware of it and how it operates and how it might operate. And you know, some I, I don't know whether this is the case remotely with you or not. But you know, we, we've all learned certain ways of of dealing with the fact of of distress and of sitting 
in a room with somebody who is distressed. We learn this stuff, you know, in our family of origin or whatever, and in all kinds of cultural ways. And I would be inviting you to explore that and 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 just to see what it might prevent you from seeing, as well as, you know, how it might sometimes be very positive. So, you know, I, I think there's definitely a role for supervision in supporting and challenging a coach to say, well, okay, maybe, maybe I need to have a look at my 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 general way of being around other people's distress i think it can also just sometimes be specific things as well I, you know i think of an example from fairly early on in my therapy practice when um i if i'd had this distinction available to me but i would have basically mislabeled as dysfunctional suffering something that was very functional which is somebody who'd um lost a pet and at the time it's a complete failure of empathy on my part i just couldn't understand um, how somebody could be quite so distraught about the death of a pet um, and so I you know it, it felt to me like a a disproportionately strong sense of grief bereavement um, and guilt and you know all, all the kinds of things that you might associate normally with a you know bereavement losing losing a person that was my you know that was an oversight on my part and my supervisor helped me to see that it's it's maybe a bit of an overused phrase but you know putting yourself in another person's shoes just to in that situation you know if that that pet's been such an important part of their life um it's understanding what it meant for them isn't it or what their job meant for them and and all the associated uh status things etc yeah yeah, and uh, and i think that for me it also brings up the issue of kind of having a, a degree of cultural or cross-cultural awareness not in the sense of stereotyping people oh these kinds of people have very strong family values and all that kind of stuff but being aware of the possibility that there can be really different cultural variations in the values that are placed on certain things just being kind of open to that possibility I mean fundamentally I think what it's about you say it's about stepping into the other person's shoes that's right and what that means is leaving our own frame of reference behind. You know, we can't leave ourselves behind, but becoming as aware as, as we can of the way that our kind of habitual filters and the values that we've just absorbed and we unreflectingly live out might prevent us from, from actually seeing how the other person is experiencing things. Thanks, David. Much to chew and reflect on there. I think what we'll do at this point is take a break and come back in our next episode to reflect further on the relationship between coaching and therapy and how they work together in the interests of our clients. So look forward to your company then. 